Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And today, I'm talking to Meg Zucker. She is the founder and president of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, a nonprofit with the mission of advancing understanding, tolerance, and mutual respect for people's differences. Don't Hide It Flaunt to provide social-emotional learning and anti-bullying programming to schools, universities, community service organizations, and Fortune 500 companies. Meg is also the mother of three kids and the author of the new book, Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. Welcome, Meg. Thank you, Amy. I'm so happy to be here. So before we get to the book, I'd like for you to tell the listeners a little bit about the genetic condition that you were born with. Sure, absolutely. So I was born with a condition called ectrodactyly, leaving me with one finger on each hand, shortened forearms, and one toe on each foot. And when I say one toe on each foot, everyone imagines their own foot, and then just one little toe on there. And by all means, my feet don't look like yours. So they're pretty small and round and sort of have a toe, but whatever. But ectrodactyly is interesting because it doesn't mean that if someone has it, they have the same physical version of what I ended up being born with. So it really just means missing digits. And so I ended up, and we can talk about this, obviously, the fact that I gave birth to two of my three children who share my condition. But for example, Ethan, my oldest son, has one finger on each hand, two toes on each foot. Charlie has two fingers on each hand and two toes on each foot. Anyway, all combined, we have 18 digits, but it really doesn't matter. It just means that we have fewer fingers and toes. And quite frankly, there's a lot more to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. Just for your parents, it was a very different time when you and I were born. And so your parents did not know that this was coming, that you would have this limb difference until you were born. And how do you think that was different than going into it as somebody who knows that this might be something your kids have? You know, it's interesting that you're asking me that, Amy. I mean, certainly for my parents, it was, as I wrote in the book, an utter shock to them because they, I have an older brother. He certainly didn't have the same genetic condition. So it was unexpected, but it's more than just having something unexpected. Back then, it's not like you could plunk in the internet, oh, my daughter has one finger, what do I do? And be at least reassured or maybe social media like, oh, it's okay, you can see that she'll be able to walk or write or do anything that would give them the reassurance that their lives, being my parent, could mean not that it's identical to any other 
situation, but certainly something to look forward to and hopeful and all that. So in that sense, it was absolutely shocking and quite terrifying, I'm sure. And you say in the book that you never saw growing up anybody that looked like you, even on TV. Did you feel like you were the only one in the world who might have this difference? Yeah. And in fact, we lived abroad for many years when I was growing up, but we'd come back to the United States in the summertime and I would happily go to see the fireworks on every 4th of July. And everyone else is happily going because I want to see the fireworks. I was happy to go because it was my opportunity where there would be large crowds and I could start to scan the fields. And so as everyone's heads are up looking at the sky at the fireworks, I would be staring everywhere just trying to find anyone that was different like me. You grew up in different countries, as you said. Tell us a little bit about that because your difference was viewed very differently in the different countries where you lived. Yeah. So we moved to Iran when I was one and then went back and forth until I, I was pretty much done with middle school to after Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Israel, and Egypt. I think people are taken aback by someone who's physically different, especially children and so forth. But I would say that in the U.S. it was a little bit more reserved in terms of how people would blatantly react to me versus living abroad, especially in particular countries where people would scream at the sight of me. They would think that I was either cursed or my family was cursed for having me or it could be contagious. And they would run for the hills. And when they weren't running for the hills, quite frankly, there would be loud outbursts of pity, like where in the U.S., maybe someone's pitying me, but they're not going to say that out loud with an earshot. So it was a very different type of dynamic for sure. And how did your mom, your parents help you navigate that? The key for my parents was really giving me the ability to not be consumed with the sort of external judgment of others. They were really good at holding back Remember, they didn't know what I could do. And so rather than making the preemptive decision, or she might not be able to do that, or she might be able to do this, or whatever the case may be, and then have me try what they thought in their own mindset was possible, what they were able to do is really just, and I have a chapter like this, Amy, let go and let live. They really decided, let's hang back and empower her. And the more I was thriving physically, the more it reinforced my ability to feel confident and good about myself because I was really able to do things that I would say not only others were shocked that I could accomplish, maybe I was a little shocked (laughs) that I could accomplish it, whether I was dancing or playing tennis. I remember in Pakistan, in Islamabad, we used to go to the embassy in Islamabad and there were these clay courts and I really wanted to pick up a tennis racket and learn and I was in second grade and And the person that was, uh, maybe he was the training instructor, he kind of looked like, what are we doing here? Why should we bother? And my parents were encouraging. They were like, hey, try it with her. Let her try is the point. And another thing you grew up with that you talk about in the book is what you call the thrusting of help that's constant and maybe well-meaning, but also people assuming that you needed, I don't know, you needed help at a salad bar or something like that from a young age and then visited on your kids too. What is that like to be on the receiving end of? That chapter is called The Helping Hand. And I just had a conversation with someone yesterday who had read the book and she has her own invisible differences and some experience with disability. But she said, you know, that happened to me along the way. I wasn't born this way. But that chapter was really interesting for me because as much as it provides 
insights to parents who are raising children where, you know, they've been letting go and letting their children live in their own fullest potential. They don't realize how everyone is sort of leaping in to be the version of, as I think I described it in the book, as Mighty Mouse. Here I come to save the day. And it can take form of family or friends or anything like that. And so there's that. But what she said, the person that I was talking to, which I thought was super important, is she's like, gosh, it really made me examine my own behavior in terms of how I'm helping people, not just children, you know, and how it's perceived and how it might be really impacting their own sense of self and their own dignity. And so I'm absolutely delighted that this book, the primary audience is obvious parents of children with differences and disabilities, but you know, there are these secondary audiences for sure, whether it's people that just want to raise empathetic children or teachers that want to have empathy in the classroom. Absolutely. I mean, I got so much out of this. I don't have children with visible differences. I have children with invisible differences. And tell us a little bit about difference versus disability, why you choose the language you use and why other people might feel differently. Yeah. And thanks for putting it that way because someone said, I've heard you hate the word disability. I'm like, wait. (laughs) And it's actually interesting because I wrote an article and someone titled it like that. I'm like, no, but I will. I think it's a really important conversation. And that is because if you have parents like I had, and certainly the way we try to and have been raising our own children I never felt less than. And so to me, the word disabled, I'm like, why don't I naturally identify it? What is it about that word? And then I started realizing, and I have this story where I was getting ready for work and on the news was a traffic reporter who would express, your day's going to be ruined because there's a disabled vehicle on the road and you're not going to make <laughs> that meeting. And then I started realizing, I'm like, oh, that's why, because the term itself still has negative connotations in the common vernacular. And there are people as I've described, that literally fly the flag of disability pride. And they're doing amazing things to move that needle in terms of the positivity of the word. Now, for me, I've always, I guess, related to the fact that we're different. I've used that terminology. But what I like to say is you could have three families, all of them have a child with the same condition, and they all introduce their child and say, this is my son that's disabled, this is my daughter that's differently abled, and this is my daughter that's different. It's the same condition. And so what I like to say is, most importantly, I think we need to give each other the grace and respect to allow families or even children decide what feels right for you. And then that's fine. And it might evolve along the way, too. We might think I describe myself as differently able today, but tomorrow I'm disabled. You know, we just have to be able to not judge one another in this space. And just then after we get past the labels, let's just move on and talk about even deeper things. Right. We're talking to Meg Zucker. Her new book is Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. And we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? 
say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Meg, I wanted to talk about what it's like to become the parent of a child with visible differences because I guess I would have assumed before reading this book that would be definitively easier for somebody who also had the same sort of difference. And I think it maybe is, but in other ways, it's not at all. Can you talk about, you said that when you become a parent of a child with the same difference as you, you have to do this work of self-acceptance over again. I thought that was extraordinary. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that those of us that are parents can relate to the fact that as hard as it is to experience something, when we see pain that our child is experiencing, it's like everything we thought we experience is on steroids in terms of dealing with that emotional pain and all that kind of stuff. And I think that whether you're a parent of a child that's different or not, or disabled or not, we all understand and relate to that. With respect to my own personal experience, you would have thought that to your point, not only do I have a genetic condition, I literally gave birth to it. And so I should have had the sort of perfect, just insightful ability to handle everything for them in the way that my parents empowered me. But as I wrote in the book, I made some mistakes and I fessed up with those mistakes. Quite frankly, I think I point to a few things, but certainly fear. I talk about how I think that the root of all like missteps I've made as a parent was based on fear. Fear of, quite frankly, maybe even not fear that my parents did something so right and now I'm in this spot and can I live up to how they parented me in the same way? And there's, there is that element to it. The other thing is at the end of the day, one of the things that I learned too, and the reason I had to rethink this is I interestingly have not just one, but two children who have my physical condition and neither of them are the same in personality. And so one more outgoing, one a little shyer, not so shy, but when he was younger. And 
that in and of itself, a child's personality can actually impact the way that you want to figure out how to empower your children and drive in terms of the same way that help them and support them. And it's not identical. I even have this chapter in the book that's called Taking the Bully by the Horns. Ethan was bullied. Charlie was not for being physically different. And Ethan was shyer, right? And so sometimes I do think about the fact that a lot of the approaches that I took in the way that I had to sort of come to the right place was not even the same within my own family. That's really interesting. And kids who are in this position of sometimes having to be the sort of cheery ambassadors for kids are different. Lots of people have lots of things. I think that work is probably harder for some people than for others and harder on a Wednesday than on a Tuesday. It must get difficult sometimes. There's a lot of efforts that have been made to make certain that kids are kind. Choose kindness, be kind. And the last thing I want is everyone to say, did you hear Meg Zucker? She said kindness is bad. So that's not the case. (laughs) (laughs) Kindness is a good thing. However, when you're talking about not only just raising, but also supporting your child to interact with children that they encounter that are different and so forth, it's such an easy thing, in my opinion, to say, be kind to Billy, be kind. And Being kind to Billy means definitely don't be mean. And it could mean say hi or even don't say hi. Just don't do anything that's bad and make them feel badly. Meanwhile, I think the right slogan should be choose friendship and focusing on making certain that your son or daughter that interacts with Billy can start to connect with them in a way that they leap beyond the kindness, which I think is just surface and really be willing. And I say willing because it is a willing step to befriend somebody who's different, but helping them through that, that to me is so much more important than being an ambassador slogans or anything like that. Coming to this as a parent that wants my kids to not say the wrong thing. And as a parent of a kid who has sometimes not been perfect and has sometimes said the wrong thing, born out of curiosity, you make some really interesting points in this book about what all of us should expect of children. And you talk about how curiosity is normal. That's not something we need to correct or change. Tell us how you came to that and how we approach that with our kids. Yeah. I even wrote an article years ago in Parenting Magazine, which is the subject of, you know, sort of experiences with my children where someone, you know, will be with a child and they'll be whisking them away because they're so afraid of their child embarrassing them or learning out something or asking questions. And to me, someone that provides or asks us a question, that's an opportunity for us to give an answer. And as I even wrote in that piece, it gives us the opportunity to become a someone from a something in that experience. And so, you know, I know as parents, you know, I go back to that word fear. Any of us that is telling our child, oh, please don't ask that question. It's a little awkward. Let things be awkward then in my mind, because only then can we move past that and just get into sort of a natural rapport. And sometimes it's not going to be more than a one-off. And sometimes it's going to be in school where they're going to see that kid again and again. But I will also say, speaking of fear, when we tell our children and we try to thwart their natural curiosity, that creates fear in them. They don't understand why. And that gives them more anxiety about, wait a minute, mom and dad don't think they're signaling to me that natural interaction is not a good thing in this space. And so what have we done by our own fears? We've created fear in our own children in that regard. 
So that's a lose-lose. You give another example of preparing a child ahead of time, again, with the best of intentions that we're going to see somebody today who might be in a wheelchair, whatever, I'm making that up. But that sort of overly preparing it can also backfire. And why is that? Yeah, I think I give the story in the book of a situation when I was younger and I had a cousin, we were, it was a birthday party. And in fact, he's much older than I am. And with the best of intentions, he said to his child, listen, my cousin's coming. You're going to love her. She's wonderful. But FYI, she has one finger on each hand and she looks really different. And when he did that by calling it out, he was doing it to try and save me some embarrassment if he was going to react or overreact. But instead, the child actually screamed when he saw me and thought I was like the equivalent of the Loch Ness Monster. And it's because rather than just letting, you know, natural curiosity govern by pre-warning, it just didn't allow that sort of to happen. And look, kids can have a lot of wild imaginations, right? And it's understandable. But when we as parents are trying to tell them one thing, their imagination can go way beyond even what we thought versus just saying, hey, Tyler, this is your cousin Meg and Tyler's going to see me and he's going to react or he's going to whatever. But hey, I know I have one finger. So however he reacts or my boys, that's fine. We can deal with it. But as I say in the book, if I'm going to tell people not to pre-warn their children, then I have a duty to my own children to help them. And I have that chapter in the book called Build Their Dignity. And so I need to make certain to strengthen those, if you will, emotional muscles so that they can in turn be able to be prepared to react to that. Let's talk more about the dignity part after this. We're talking to Meg Zucker, the author of Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. And we'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get $100 off your lumen. That is l-u-m-e-n dot m-e lumen.me and use the code fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you lumen for sponsoring this episode. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad 
to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. So Meg, you talk about dignity in this book. You talk about the dignity ladder and how we can create that for really all of our kids. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I have like tools that I use, some visual tools even that I created for my kids. And the dignity ladder was one of them. And the reason I wanted to do that is this recognition that any one of us can, you know, that whole expression, wrong side of the bed type of deal. Sometimes we get out of the bed and we're like, woohoo, today's the day, seize the day. And sometimes we just wake up not feeling great inside. And our kids are no different. Sometimes they're feeling good and sometimes they're feeling a little bit more insecure. And so to me, the dignity ladder is to be really in check with yourself. And this doesn't just go for kids. This is for any one of us. How have we started our day? Are we at the top of our dignity ladder or are we at the bottom? And if we're at the top, it's good to recognize that because the same, I'll just take myself or my kids. We talked about people trying to help or whatever. You know, when the external world reminds us we're different because otherwise we forget. But we go with the flow. It doesn't matter. It kind of reminds me of things that just fall off our emotional shield. We just don't mind. But if we're at the bottom of our ladder, if we're feeling more insecure or unhappy for whatever reason, then we get impacted by that. And in fact, all the external noise penetrates. And so the dignity ladder is just that visualization so that it's almost like you're giving your kids some grace. Some days you're going to feel okay and sometimes you're not. You're going to be at the top or the bottom of your dignity ladder and just know that the very same kid that says the very same thing one day is going to affect you and one day won't. (laughs) And let them understand that and appreciate that. And then the dignity chapter is a lot about how to help them achieve, even if they're at the bottom of their dignity ladder, how to build that strength up so that they can withstand anything that comes. You make the point in the book, I circled it because it was so true, that self-love is not automatically transferred from any of us to our children. And so as painful as it is to watch our children struggle and go through hard things, they do need to do that work for themselves, right? We can't just hand them the self-love and perspective that will make every day a great day. Yeah. My first chapter is called Embracing the New Normal. And one of the things I say is, how can we expect self-love and unconditional self-love to be achieved if we haven't actually achieved it ourselves. And so that particular chapter is really about people's sort of recognition, like where are you in your own ability here? And then to your point, once you've achieved it, it doesn't naturally transfer. But if you really are not consumed by other people's judgment, what people are thinking and so forth, your children have a better way of using the foundation of strength that you have to just blossom in the way that you want them to do and that you can help them to do. What about the siblings of kids with differences? What are the best ways to support them? Because they'll be carrying some of this water also along the way. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny that there's a chapter called What About the Families, which used to be called What About the Siblings? And then I was talking to my editor and we're like, oops, not everyone has a sibling. (laughs) That's for sure. And quite frankly, the siblings, because not everyone has a brother or sister, it's really whether it's a brother or sister or it could be a cousin the same age or close family friends that have kids the same age. The point is that I wanted to write a dedicated chapter in terms of the dynamic of these types of kids, peers, um, really safe peers 
that have their own instrumental impact on our children that are different and disabled. And one of the examples I give is for the younger sibling in that role, I use my brother Ted, you know, he would say, we'd be in the car and all of a sudden he'd blurt out, Mommy, why does Maggie have one finger? And I'm like, what? Not you too. What are you talking about? You, you live, live with me. <laughs> what? What? What do you mean? But, but here's the point. Two things happen. He is essentially preparing me for what's going to happen outside the home. And secondly, I'm going to see and he's going to know or I'm going to observe that he can move on. You know, that the discussion and interaction doesn't have to start there and end there as part of the entire relationship I have with him. And so the importance of that, I can't underscore enough. On the older sibling side of things or the equivalent, I write about that too, because just like my older brother, Peter, they're not caught up in all the things that we are in our own heads as parents caught up with. And they're the ones that are just going to introduce things or not be so overthinking things and really allow us to sort of have a runway of our own experiences without a parent overthinking things, as I just mentioned. So I really, I love that chapter so much because there's also other elements of paying attention to that sibling in the household. They deserve their own, you know, attention, separate attention from your child, of course, but it's on steroids in this space. Mm -hmm. And then finally, look at the end of the day, Children that are the siblings of a child that's disabled are, are different. No one has to teach them empathy. <laughs> they are empathetic from the start. And that is a very beautiful thing. You say something in the book that really stuck with me, one of many things, that we can't program kids to fall in line with the desired reaction we have for them to have. We can't do that ahead of time. There's not a magic way. Every time that we meet somebody who's different from us, we will behave this way and we will do X because... It's people and you can't meet every person the same way, let alone every person with differences. And yet so many of us are so afraid our kid is going to say something insensitive or even just curious and embarrass the other child, embarrass us. How do you suggest that parents approach this sort of openly without fear, but with compassion? Look, at the end of the day, and it goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of pre-warning versus not and so forth. The reality is a lot of times it's so much about the other kid and, okay, let's talk about if you meet someone else, you know, it's all external. Yeah. My view always is, and I speak in corporate settings as well through my work in my nonprofit, but ask them about themselves. You know, I have a theme in my, in our work for Don't Hide a Flaunted, the things that make me different make me. So have them choose something unique about themselves and ask them, you know, let's talk about it. Something that maybe there is invisible, something that there maybe people don't see so readily, but if they knew about it, how would they feel if someone called it out? And I would just say, provide those experiences that help them internalize the experience versus making it external. I think that's just truly the key in terms of supporting them and having them gain a better sense of their own self and their own experience. And then just thinking in terms of, okay, now how do I interact with others? Let me not just make it about them. Let me think in terms of how I'd feel. Tell us about Don't Hide It, Flaunt It and the work that you do. So I started Don't Hide It, Flaunt It really officially after Ethan was bullied on the playground for being different. And the principal asked me to speak to all her faculty about how can we help a kid like your son who's different. And so it was an interesting because I have, a, I'm a corporate lawyer as well. I mean, I 
run an anti-money laundering program for a big bank. So <laughs> I also have a day job. So to me, I'm like, what? I'm going to speak about my hands? Okay. And so I did, but I definitely wanted to help the teachers just, quite frankly, just help them learn to just treat them like everybody else on so many levels. But I couldn't stop but thinking, what about the kids that were willing to taunt him? And so I piloted a program that became a national program where Don't Hide It, Flaunt It offers and still offers social emotional learning and empathy program to students across the country. It's called Kids Flaunt. And it was our flagship program 10 years ago. But now, oh gosh, I mean, we do programming for boys and girls clubs. And certainly that expanded to middle schools and high school programs, partner with universities and a lot of other things. We realized our mission can really help not unite people despite their differences, but even because of their differences. I've been talking to Meg Zucker. She is the author of the new book, Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities. Meg, tell us where we can find Don't Hide It, Flaunt It and your book and everything that you do. Oh, thanks, Amy. So I think the easiest thing is just to type in megzucker.com in the internet. And that's my author website. It includes all the things about the book, but it also has an entire section on Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, which can lead anyone to the Don't Hide It, Flaunt It website as well. So I'd love people to check it out. I'll put the link to megzucker.com and the book in the show notes. Meg, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.